I'm Tara McMullen, and this is What Works, the show that explores how to navigate the 21st century economy without losing your humanity. This is the seventh edition of This Is Not Advice, my not advice column for premium subscribers of What Works. If you're not a premium subscriber, enjoy this meaty teaser or head over to whatworks.fyi to subscribe for just $7 per month. You'll get twice monthly This Is Not Advice columns, plus access to full-length interviews with people I've featured on the show. Again, to upgrade your subscription, go to whatworks.fyi. Today's topic is the way flexibility is used and abused. When is being flexible a feature? And when is it a bug? When does flexibility make an experience better for customers or team members? And when does flexibility lead to chaos? I'll get to my thoughts on those questions in just a bit. But first, jazz. I used to play the trombone, and I was pretty good, although not nearly as good as I hoped I was. Anyhow, like most high school and college trombone players, I played in the concert band and in the symphony orchestra, as well as every jazz ensemble I had access to. I loved jazz ensemble, both for musical and for social reasons, but there was one part of jazz ensemble that I was utterly terrible at improvising. When you think of a jazz solo, you're imagining someone improvising, whether you realize it or not. It may seem spontaneous and unplanned, even a bit wild. And sure, improvisation can be those things. But improvisation is a skill that's carefully honed over years, really over a whole career. Learning to improvise is learning scales and variations on scales. Scales and scales and scales. You have to learn scales because they help you construct a melody on the fly. What's up, YouTube? Nick Finzer back. So today I wanted to dig into three ways to practice the pentatonic scale because everybody uh, might know what it is, but getting it into your improvisational practice requires a little bit of uh, further examination. I'm sure if I said play the C pentatonic scale, you could do it. It would sound like this. But what we really need to do is start to practice it in the way that we might need to use it when we're improvising. So for me, that means maybe thinking about uh, playing it without with the base pencil. knowledge of scales and how they line up with the chords the rhythm section is laying down the notes you play are just gibberish so while an improvised solo is in fact improvised it's also the product of years of practice and study There's a structure 
that makes it work. And you're welcome to deviate from that structure, but to make that work, you have to know you're deviating. Now, I never committed to learning what I needed to learn in order to be a better improviser. The time and effort required far outweighed my level of interest in the form. By the time I realized that, though, I already knew I wasn't planning a career as a trombone player, and I never really had in the first place. While jazz improvisation was never really my jam, I do enjoy improvising in other areas, like teaching and speaking. And this, I am for real good at. (laughs) I can be quick on my feet, I can make things up as I go. For example, I don't rehearse the workshops I teach. Instead, I've learned certain structural techniques that allow me to move from topic to topic pretty smoothly. I have patterns that I use over and over again. Even as the material changes, the patterns stay the same. I know that putting in the work on those patterns and structural techniques, as well as being fully fluent on the material itself, means I can trust my instincts in the moment. I'm less likely to be flustered or caught off guard than if I were, say, working off a meticulously rehearsed script. My finely tuned structure creates the space for flexibility. Oddly enough, recognizing that this is what I do is actually a relatively recent realization. And because I didn't know that that's what made me a good improviser in front of an audience, I could miscalculate. I'd rely too heavily on my ability to make things up as I go and underdevelop the structure I needed to improvise over. Or my confidence in my performance caused me to underbake the administrative and logistical elements of a project. Now, that sucked for me, of course. You know, being caught flat-footed isn't fun. But it was in those moments when I realized that I'd skimped on the structure or logistics that I also realized I was making things unnecessarily difficult for the people I was working with. My reliance on flexibility actually made them question their own ability. Being flexible and flexibility is most often treated as an objectively positive value. And I don't think that's wrong, but I think it's more complicated than that. So I think we should differentiate between two types of flexibility. What I'm going to call generative flexibility and extractive flexibility. Generative flexibility focuses on the other, be it a customer, team member, business partner, colleague, you name it. Generative flexibility offers well-considered structure with space to adapt to the other's needs. The structure provides a sense of comfort or safety while openness empowers the other to express their curiosity. Generative flexibility doesn't cut any corners. It's actually more work, not less. It anticipates questions, factors in friction, and communicates thoroughly. 
Now, extractive flexibility, on the other hand, is, you know, flying by the seat of your pants. It's about doing less beforehand and trusting your instincts when it counts. This kind of flexibility is extractive because it's not an equitable transaction. It disproportionately draws on the resources of the other. And by that, I mean your customers or team members have to put in extra work to follow along, to make sense of what you're sharing. They can't fully participate because they're spending so much of that energy on figuring out what's going on. Extractive flexibility might feel comfy for you, but it's chaos for everyone else. Thanks for listening to this excerpt from my This Is Not Advice column. To learn more about generative flexibility, extractive flexibility, what both types of flexibility have to do with minimum viable products, and why craft is integral to making the most of flexibility, become a premium subscriber for just $7 per month. You'll get access to this full episode, plus all previous episodes of This Is Not Advice. Go to whatworks.fyi slash subscribe. That's whatworks.fyi slash subscribe.